Welcome back to Balagan. The 24th Knesset began its work after the MK's war oath on April 6th. Prior, President Reuven Rivlin on Monday gave Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu the first crack at forming a government, but noted that he was doing so reluctantly, both because no party leader appeared to have enough support to succeed at cobbling together a ruling coalition, and because he had, and I quote, moral and ethical reservations given that Netanyahu is on trial for corruption. Netanyahu will now have 28 days to try to master a coalition that can win majority support in the Knesset. But given that he only has the backing of 52 out of 120 lawmakers, it will be a challenge. Netanyahu was endorsed by the Likud party with 30 seats, Shas with nine, UTJ, United Torah Judaism, seven, and religious Zionism with six seats. Lapid, on the other hand, the head of opposition, was recommended as prime minister by 45 lawmakers. Yeshatid with 17 seats, Blue and White with eight, Israel Beitenu with seven, Labor with seven, Meretz with six. And Naftali Bennett was endorsed by seven members of his own Yamina party. The three parties that made no recommendation account for the final 16 Knesset seats are New Hope 6, Jointly 6, and Ram 4. So, along with my friend Jeff Becker, we will discuss what is expected in the upcoming 28 days and if Netanyahu has any chance of forming a coalition. Welcome back, Jeff. Hey, Kobe, thanks for having me. It's great to have you, as always. So what do you say? Will we have a government? Well, you know, it's kind of like, uh, I don't know if you've seen the movie Groundhog Day, but it brings back memories of me watching that movie when I was younger. I mean, you're just kind of waking up to the same scenario over and over again, and that's basically what you're getting again now. But you're asking what do I think that Netanyahu is going to put together a government? He wasn't able to in the last three rounds. I don't see how this is really any different for him, except for the fact that Ra'am, which is the southern branch of the Israeli Islamic movement, has indicated that they'd be opening to support Netanyahu. However, the fact that putting a government together with Ra'am and the religious Zionist movement, which consists of radical neo-Kahanists who are pretty outspoken and them saying that they want to kick the Arabs completely out of the country, it doesn't seem very plausible at all. And, you know, right now, the whole big thing is that Netanyahu's trying to get Naftali Bennett locked in into his camp. And even with Bennett, he doesn't have enough numbers, enough mandates to form a government. So it seems that Netanyahu is in the same position now where he's going to be short of forming a government. I mean, what he could do is siphon off some support from Gideon Sa'ar's New Hope Party, but they seem pretty locked in right now. So... I don't see Netanyahu being able to put together a government in 28 days. And if he is able to, I think it would be a pretty extremist minority government, which is backed by either Ra'am for the outside, religious Zionism from the outside, or both from the outside. So I think that the 28 days are going to expire. He'll request an extension. I don't think that the president Rivlin is going to give him an extension. And it goes to Lapid. Assume it could go to Lapid, it could go to Naftali Bennett, actually. We don't know. I got to tell you, you know, 
there are a lot of assumptions around Naftali Bennett because I don't know why some people think that he can be, I would say, a compromise candidate for prime minister. But honestly, I think it's a bit of absurd. You know, he only gets seven seats in the Knesset with Yamina. He announced himself as prime minister and he's trying to play on both sides. The reason he didn't endorse Yair Lapid, if to be honest, in the Israeli left, a lot were upset that, you know, they call themselves the change block. But this change is so incoherent and so divided among itself because it has Yamina and New Hope from the hard right. They have the Arab parties that we already know that the majority of the Arab members are not left-wingers. If we look at Mansour Abbas, he's a Muslim religious, you know, so he will not support LGBTQ rights, for example. And neither do Balad, who are nationalistics. So this whole assumption that, you know, the change block can form a coalition, I think it was a bit wishful thinking. And if, to be honest, in overall, we already have in this Knesset, in the 24th Knesset, 76 members of the Knesset belong to right-wing parties. Some of them are in the no-BB block. Some of them are in the maybe no-BB or yes-BB block. And the majority of them are in the BB block. But I will say that. Bibi was saying, you know, Prime Minister Netanyahu was saying throughout his whole campaign, we're going to make Memshelet Yamin al-Male, a full hard right-wing uh, government. But if you look at his record on his uh, track history, Netanyahu always looked for a center-left-wing party to join his coalition so it can balance the right-wing and to actually become some sort of a shield for him and the target to say why he couldn't enforce any policies. He needed them as a punching bag in the government. And he's been doing it all the time. Look what he's doing to Gantz now, because he's complaining, you know, he set up the deal with Benny Gantz, and ever since he's been complaining that you can't rule with this sort of a deal. So it's like he's managing to hold a stick from both ends, I don't know until when it's going to work for him. But I really think that if you're asking me, there is a chance that he will be able to bring back Benny Gantz into his coalition. Can you elaborate on that? Because, I mean, Benny Gantz just served in the last failed unity government with Netanyahu, and it collapsed pretty spectacularly. Gantz lost a ton of support for that. But, you know, he apologized. He said that... He was the one who had to jump on the grenade for everyone to create a government during the mix of the pandemic. But, you know, he seemed very sincere in this election cycle that he was going to be in the anti-BB block, he'd be in the change block. And now all of a sudden you're coming out and saying, oh, I think that Gantz is going to be the one to jump ship and join a Netanyahu government. Why is that? Why do you think that? Because eventually, Benny Gantz was saying, allow me to quote, he said that eventually somebody needs to block the hard right-wing government that Netanyahu is forming. And it's a bit awkward because he had the chance to really block him and to form a different coalition. But he was unwilling, if you remember, to be supported by the Joint Arab List. And 
now that Netanyahu doesn't have any morals being endorsed, and we do need to remind people that Ram is actually a branch of the Muslim Brotherhood. So technically, they are aligned with Hamas and other religious parties in the Arab world. He doesn't have a problem being endorsed by Mansour Abbas if it serves his needs. And Gantz had the chance to make a change, and he didn't. So I think that Gantz will say, okay, I would like to take the Ministry of Justice again. And then he will say, oh, I was able to block the hard right wing uh, government of Netanyahu by joining his coalition. What would that hard right wing government look like? Because the problem is right now is that he can't even necessarily create a hard right wing government because right wing parties like Lieberman's party and Saar's party who are staunchly opposed to him. I mean, he can maybe create a minority government with Rom supporting the outside. But, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you can't get Rom and religious Zionism to come together. So what you're saying is maybe you need to admit that something would have to happen first in order for Gans to come in and, you know, hop on the grenade again. And what I would say is that I don't think it's going to get to a point where Rom and religious Zionism agree to come together, even if it's a minority government. So I think that Netanyahu has a couple of alternatives here. The first one is to get Smutrich and Bennett into his coalition, and then he will get 59 seats to set up a minority government, asking Mansour not to vote against it, and then it can pass because he'll have the majority of 59 minus Mansour Abbas, which is four, then it will be 59 to 57, and he can still form a government. It won't be a stable government. Another solution that he has is actually to do the same, but adding, once again, Benny Gantz and Blue and White Party, giving them a couple of offices that will block all of his ability to control so he can play the blame game with Gantz again. But Gantz at this point, I don't think that he will care. I mean, his uh, reputation is already crushed. And actually, the people who voted for him are people that actually appreciated the fact that he was sitting in the government and, you know, not wrestling, but you can call it wrestling with Netanyahu and blocking some of his acts, you know, like the annexation and all of the overruling law with the Supreme Court and things like that. So he will carry that as a badge, you know, guys, I'm doing it for that. I want to save the Supreme Court. And then Netanyahu will have a majority. And once again, he can continue with this coalition for a year, two years, and then we'll see what will happen. The two things that are important for Netanyahu at the moment, if to be honest, is trials. That's actually the evidence stage started this week. And he was actually ordered by the court to join all the meetings. So he needs to be at court three times a week. He doesn't like it. It doesn't do any good for him. And eventually it takes his time. He's still the prime minister of Israel. So he's concentrated on that. I don't know if he's going to try and pass a law to block all the opposition attempts, you know, to block him. And on the other hand, he will also concentrate on who's going to be the next president of the state of Israel, because that's also important. We do need to remind people that Ruvi Rivlin is actually a president that was elected by the Likud party. He was a member of the Likud party for years, even before Netanyahu. 
And eventually he ran with the support of Gidon Saar. Netanyahu did not support him because he didn't like his work as the speaker of the Knesset. Ruvi Rivlin is a very, what we say, mamlachti. He cares about, if you'll call it the kingdom. How do you say it in English? When I think of Rivlin, I always think of, you know, he's like one of the old guard Likud guys. Yes, definitely. That's a good term. So he was blocking a lot of Netanyahu's moves, you know, trying to make the Knesset hymns, you know, and take some power out of the Knesset. And we do need to remind our audience that the Knesset is actually the legislative branch, but it's also the supervising branch over the government in Israel. And eventually, if the coalition is too strong, like if you look at what's happening, we already discussed it in another episode in the past, that besides one committee in the Knesset, which is the state supervision committee that is led by somebody from the opposition, all other committees are being led by the coalition. So it's not really functioning. And the Ruvi Rivlin didn't like it. That's why he wasn't endorsed by Netanyahu, who was trying to run somebody else. And the president itself has the ability to parole people. So it is important for Netanyahu to see that if he's being indicted and the court rules against him, that he still have a chance to get parole, you know? Yeah, so Ruben Rivlin doesn't really have a whole lot of options right now. I mean, you know, he's pretty anti-Netanyahu, but as you said, Gideon Saar didn't recommend Lapid. Bennett recommended himself. So Netanyahu clearly had the most recommendations, so he had to give it to him. But Netanyahu does not have an easy path or an easy 28 days ahead of him. I mean, it's going to be extremely difficult for him to put together a government. And I think we differ when it comes to our opinions on that. But do you think that the change block and Yair Lapid and Naftali Bennett, because Lapid and Bennett have been talking about possibly a rotation for prime minister and Yair Lapid and Naftali Bennett would share the prime ministership rotating one term. So do you think that that would have any sort of leverage going into the next round if Netanyahu can't make it the first, uh, can't uh, form a government during his term? I think that in this case, Bennett understands that the change block cannot really set, I would say, a stable coalition. Because as we said before, it's so divided among itself. And I'll give the perfect example. In the 23rd Knesset, the first crack between Benny Gantz and Yair Lapid started when Blue and White had the majority to take over the Speaker of the Knesset place. And Yair Lapid insisted that it would be Mayor Cohen, one of his people of Yeshatid. And because Gantz was already in a conversation with Netanyahu, then Benny Gantz changed it and he took the place of the Speaker of the Knesset. And that was the first crack. Eventually, Gantz joined the coalition. Lapid stayed in the opposition. And that's how Netanyahu dissolved Blue and White, who were his biggest contesters for three consecutive, actually two consecutive election terms. They had the chance to do it on the 6th when the Knesset was formed, but they couldn't agree on a candidate. So Naftali Bennett wasn't willing to support anybody endorsed by Lapid. And Gidon Saar did not go along with it. I think it was, you know, for the opposition or for the change block to show some sort of a strength that could have been a hint to how they will malfunction in the future. 
And Naftali Bennett eventually is a right wing. He always wished to go into the Likud and to run. He understands that the largest right wing party in Israel and the most stable one eventually is the Likud. He knows that with Yamina, we saw it in a couple of election terms. With the new right, Yamina Hadash, he didn't even cross the threshold. Then with Yamina in the second term, he got six seats. Now he got eight seats. So it's like he knows that if he wants to really be the prime minister of Israel, it needs to go through the Likud. And I think that he's going to try and use his seven mandates now as a leverage on Netanyahu. But I don't know. Taking a promise from Netanyahu, we already saw that it doesn't really work. <laughs> Let's talk about the Haredi parties for a second, because... Naftali Bennett and Gideon Sa'ar, I mean, they, the Haredi parties clearly trust them more than the left. I mean, they're pretty outspoken about that nowadays. Oh, definitely. So let's say that Netanyahu, you know, he's unable to form a government. Do you think Bennett, whether it be the rotation between Bennett and Lapid, do you think they would be able to get at least some of the Haredi on board? I think that forming a coalition with the ultra-Orthodox parties on one hand and the Labour Party and Meretz on the other hand is not possible with what's happening today in Israel. Actually, Rabbi Kanievsky said it in his own words that it's better to go with the Arab parties than with the Israeli left-wing parties. And M.K. Gafni said today, Gafni is now the head of United Torah Religious, He actually said it today that they are with the right wing. They will not go with the left wing. I can't see them. If they are vetoing Rabbi Gilad Kariv of the Labour Party, saying that they will not be in the same room with him and saying that the reforms are worse than Christians, you know, they are worse than the Goim, as they say, I don't think it's something that they will be able to bring together. I don't see the ultra-Orthodox go with the left wing I don't see all the right wing, but once again, Netanyahu has no problem being endorsed by the Arab parties, but I don't see his supporters, uh, Smutrich and Itamar Ben-Gvir. They always prove to be more ideological and less flexible in those issues. And it's a tough situation for everybody. That's why I think that, you know, his biggest chances are to form a coalition with Bennett, giving him a couple of promises. He actually already offered him six ministries and bringing him into the Likud and giving him, you know, some sort of a percentage in the list for the next election. And we don't even know how it's going to go with the Merkaz, you know, with Merkaz Likud. The Likud Central Committee, right? Yes, the Likud Central Committee, exactly. What's called as the Merkaz. If Bennett will take this bait, it's a big chance for him. And I'm not sure if it's worth it. Because he knows that Netanyahu eventually will run him over like he did several times in the past. So how likely is it that you think, I mean, now it's starting to seem pretty likely that the pro and anti-Netanyahu blocs are going to have a really difficult time. I mean, what do you think the possibility of a fifth election is looking like? I think that those are still the highest chances. But As we say in Israeli politics, never say never, and uh, it's full of surprises. Nobody forecasted that Netanyahu will be able to bring uh, Benny Gantz to form a coalition. Nobody thought that in the second round, Miki Zohar and Netanyahu will actually join hands with the Arab parties to dissolve the 22nd Knesset. So all of these crazy things that are happening in Israel, I wouldn't be surprised if 
eventually Netanyahu will be able somehow to bridge over, you know, uh, the gaps between <laughs> Smutrich and Mansour Abbas. I don't know. It's really tough, but you can definitely see that nobody likes the situation. You know, you were talking about how earlier you watched the video of how Bibi joined the ceremonial photo of all of the party's leaders. And there was somebody who was missing in this photo. Can you guess who was it? Was it uh, Mansour Abbas? No, it was the president. Oh, Rivlin. So Ruvi Rivlin refuses to meet with Netanyahu, for example. And he ran away from the Knesset before uh, they were able to take the shot. He wasn't willing to share a stage with Prime Minister Netanyahu. Even when he gave him the mandate, he was doing it in a press conference. He didn't even invite him to the president's residence to meet with him and shake hands. Usually that's what they do. They shake hands. He hands out the mandate, like a written mandate. This time, it didn't happen. So nobody likes this situation. Netanyahu knows that he's in a tough situation. I will give a credit to Yair Lapid, who's playing really quiet and cool. I don't know if it will help him, because eventually, once again, his uh, change block is so ununified. Well, you mentioned Benny Gantz earlier. So technically, if he were to wait out the next election, wouldn't the rotation with Netanyahu still be in place? If Benny Gantz just wants to hold out for a couple months, couldn't he automatically become prime minister next November? In theory, yes. But that's in theory. Because they can always say that if it was a shift, gov- not a shift government. Um, transitional? A transitional government then maybe the Supreme Court will not want to get involved with that. Because technically, in a transitional government, things stay the way they are. There are no changes that are being made. So I doubt if the Supreme Court will really support such a move. But once again, never say never, it's Israeli politics. And just like the Supreme Court, same as Rivlin, same as the the president, they refuse to discuss the moral side of Prime Minister Netanyahu's indictment on his legitimacy to rule as Prime Minister, and they stick to the dry uh, law, then maybe they will address the dry law and will say, hey, guys, you said this rule, so you made the adjustment in a basic law, so it means that you have to obey this law. It's a slight chance. I mean, I do believe that Netanyahu is going to fight it. And once again, it all depends who's going to be the next speaker of the Knesset. And the fact that the change block was unable to choose or to agree on a candidate from the change block, so they at least will have the strength in the Knesset, it shows you that their chances of forming a government are actually low. So we'll have to see. I mean, we'll get some sort of an answer within 28 days, but you know, it's really just going to be a day-by-day negotiation. Yes, and it's going to get nasty. I mean, we're going to hear a lot of nasty things, you know. Uh, now, Prime Minister Netanyahu is going to try and speak about unity again. Now he's saying, you know, we don't need to veto anybody because he's saying that people are against him. But you always need to remember that when he's against somebody else, it's legit. Only if he's being delegitimized, then it's not okay. But I think that in this case, if he doesn't succeed in forming a coalition in 28 days, I doubt if the president will give him the extra 14 days 
I doubt actually if he's going to ask for it. And then Yair Lapid will get the mandate. He will have 28 days and then maybe another 14. If he doesn't succeed, then the Knesset will dissolve and go to a fifth round. Because that's what the basic law is saying, that if neither of the candidates succeed in forming a coalition, then the Knesset will dissolve automatically. Let's so, hope there's no fifth election. <laughs> that's all I can say to that. Well, for sure we're going to have a fifth election. Unfortunately, it is a big thing, because eventually, as much as you want to talk about ideology, there is a big elephant in the room, and that is Benjamin Netanyahu. And you can see clearly that, as I said before, you know, in this upcoming Knesset, you have 76 seats for the right wing and the ultra-Orthodox parties. That's the largest number of members of the Knesset for this block, for this side. But they are ununified around Netanyahu. I do have to say this. They've been talking about the Likud about possibly Netanyahu stepping down as prime minister and becoming president and that someone else in Likud would take over as prime minister. So that way, Bibi could possibly secure himself immunity from his trials, but Likud stays in power. Is that a possibility? I don't think that Netanyahu is willing to give up the prime minister's seat. He doesn't trust anybody else. You know, he actually, I think that he's in a stage that he really thinks that, you know, he is the state of Israel. So I don't think that that's in his mindset. And you can see that he's clearly fighting to stay in power. You know, being a president is not his thing. <laughs> he would rather put somebody to be his puppet in the president residence and to stay in power as prime minister. And he's mastering that. I mean, look what he did with Yariv Levin in the Knesset, who's doing everything Netanyahu wants. Look what he did until now with the committee that elects the judges. He was able to form a majority in that committee, even though it's supposed to be not exactly political. And he's doing it everywhere he goes. In some way, you can say that he's taking authoritarian steps. Well, we'll just have to see and find out. Yeah, those are going to be nasty 28 days. But we will speak again before those 28 days ends, and we will see how things are going Maybe once again, as I said before, we will be surprised that in two weeks, both Bennett and Gantz will uh, sign a coalition agreement with Netanyahu and we will have another government that will uh, have a lifespan existence. One year lifespan existence. I don't know. But I don't see any coalition formed now that will have a lifespan of more than one or two years. I look forward to speaking with you about it again. Oh, definitely, Jeff. Thank you very much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Hey, always a pleasure, my friend. And we'll talk again soon. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and wanted to thank you for joining me. If you like my podcast, feel free to rank it and share it with others. I also invite you to subscribe to my podcast so you will get updates when a new episode is on the air. And last but not least, I invite you to check my website, Balagan, www.balagan.ltd for more content about Israel's history and politics. Bye for now, and have a great day.